0: Welcome back to another great episode on this amazing Friday. Hopefully it's going amazing for you. And if it isn't, you know what? Hopefully this cheers you up. Hopefully this at least makes you a little bit better. And it's going better because this is the last episode of season one of After Dark Coast to Coast Killers. Don't be afraid. We aren't going away for six months. We actually have two new series coming out. One is starting next week. That is the post mortem files. This series is going to be about, if you don't know anything about it, where we go into a person's life, the stuff that happens before they have died, and then. The things that led up to their death and then we go into their autopsy. it's only going to be a mini series so don't expect another season um and then the week after we have a new after drug coast to coast killer series and this is about truck drivers that use their profession to get away with serial killing what makes truck drivers the perfect ideal murderer and why truck drivers and their profession is a great way to become a serial killer without further ado this is a very special episode once again because one it's our last episode and two this is going to be a couple part episode the first part we go into detail with um the beginning the basics of the zodiac killer we go into some murders and then we go and talk about cypress in part two if we didn't discuss enough in part one any runoffs will go into part two and then we will go more into detail about the zodiac the letters and whatnot and if there's part three We will go into theories and suspects if we didn't do it in part two. Anyhow, if you don't know who the Zodiac Killer is, he is an American serial killer that has at least murdered five victims. Two did survive out of the original seven, so that's why there is only five, but he has claimed total of 37 victims that he has murdered but that comes from him and any killer can say that they can say they have a lot more victims whether or not they do who knows we don't know if he does that's why there's at least five known uh, murdered victims these victims were young couples except for the one stray which was a cab driver that he randomly shot that was his last known murder. Um, he also has written letters, cards, and ciphers. Four of these letters did include the ciphers. And only one or two of them has been solved. One of them is claimed to have his name, but that one has not been ciphered yet. Anyhow. We are going to go into the first type of basic stuff, like the murders. We are going to go into the victims. Remember, two of these victims did survive, but five of them were murdered. The first two that were murdered were a young couple named David Art Faraday. Who was 17 and Betty Lou Jensen, who was 16, they were both shot and killed on December 20th of 1968 on Lake Herman Road within the city limits of Benicia. And if I did mispronounce that, just go with it. Michael Renaut, Maguel, 19, and Darlene Elizabeth Barron, 22, both of them were shot. Michael did survive the attack, but Fern was dead on arrival. They were shot in a parking lot of Blue Rock Springs Park in Vallejo. Um, Brian Carvin Hartnell did survive, and Cecily and Shepard did not. Um, They were stabbed on September 27th of 1969 at Lake Berryessa in Napa County who did survive the eight stab wounds to the back, but Shepard did die on September 29th. Paul Lee Stein was the cab driver. He was the random person that, you know, I guess he had to be in the wrong time at the wrong place, but he was shot and killed in this cab on October 11th. 1969 in the Presidio Heights neighborhood in San Francisco. Before we go into the details of the murder, if you haven't checked out our Facebook page, liked or followed or both, go do so. We are on Facebook at After Dark Coast to Coast Killers. Or After Dark Coast to Coast. But it's probably the killer's part. Anyhow, Go check us out, and if you haven't, uh, go ch- you know, subscribe to follow us as our podcast in general. Go do so. We are on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor, Outcast. We're we're everywhere. A podcast can be played anywhere and everywhere in the world. Anyhow, let's go into the Lake Herman murders. On December 20th, 1969, on Lake Herman Road, Betty Lou Jensen and Dave Arthur Faraday were on the first date. They were actually going to attend a Christmas concert at Hogan High School, about three blocks from Jensen's home. The couple, though, instead visited a friend before shopping at a local restaurant driving out on Lake Herman Road at about 10.15pm Faraday parked his mother's rambler at a gravel turnout and this turnout is called Lover's Lane I shouldn't go into details but it's pretty much where young couples or couples in general make love and do all that other shit Um, shortly after 11pm their bodies were found by Stella Borgs lived nearby no leads were developed from it but using forensic data at the time um Robert Gray Smith postulated that another car did pull out or pulled into the turnout just prior to 11pm and parked beside the couple and pretty much shot them you know he ordered the guy to get out and then his girlfriend tried fleeing but then was shot and as the investigation was at the scene she was found 28 feet away from the car and then the killer drove off there's nothing really important I should reword that there's nothing specifically that stands out as important besides you know it was just a random murder. And at the time, it was probably the same way. You know, you have two couples, there's no other murders, known murders, or anything like that, in or around the area that can connect the, these two murders to the Zodiac or anyone. So, nothing really specifically stands out in this case. But as we get into Blue Rock Springs murder, you will understand why kinda of be a little bit suspicious and kinda of going into a ther- theory about why. But let's get into the murders first. Just before midnight on July 4th of 1969, Darlene Ferrin and Michael Maguel drove into the Blue Rock Springs Park in Vallejo, four miles from the Lake Herman Road murder site and parked. While the couple sat in Farron's car, a second car drove into the lot and parked alongside them but almost immediately drove away. Remaining about 10 minutes later, the second car parked behind them. The driver of the second car then exited the vehicle, approaching the passenger side door of Ferren's car. Carrying a flashlight and a 9mm Luger, the killer directed the- the flashlight into Michael's and Farron's eyes before shooting them firing a total technically seven times but the first time was five times. Then he heard that Michael was alive because Michael obviously moaned from being shot and then shot them two times each. Some of the bullets did go through Michael's body into his girlfriend's. He survived. She did not. Despite Michael being shot in the head, face, and neck area, um, on July 5th, this is where it kind of gets suspicious. Um, July 5th, 1969, at 12:40 a.m., a man phoned the Vallejo Police Department to report and claim or report and claim responsibility for not just this attack, but also uh, the Lake Herman Road attacks. Police then chased a call to a phone booth at a gas station at Springs Road and told me uh, if I did and I'm pretty sure i mispronounced your name, just let me know. Anyhow, located about three tenths of a mile or 500 meters from Farron's home and only a few blocks from the Valley Hill Police Department. Farron was pronounced dead at a hospital. Um, Michael did. The, he did give a description. He said the attacker was 20, 60, 30 years old, 195 to 200 pounds, or even possibly more, 5 foot 8, white male with short, light, brown, curly hair. Over time, as the other person survives, it's kind of off from this one, but don't take too much credit into it. Just understand that sometimes it's hard to tell in these type of scenarios because everything's moving too fast. Anyhow, why this is suspicious is because it was close to Farron's home. And what makes this stand out is because ideally if this killer even picked out his victims ahead of time he could have been watching her from across the street he could have walked past her house he could have did this and that and then stalked her and her boyfriend and then found them, killed them or killed one of them you know but that's just a theory that's that's something that always will stand out to me and always will make me question if he stalked some of his victims or did the press just release her address and been like this is where i need to call from or whatnot anyhow Before we jump into the first letters from the Zodiac Thank you for staying tuned to the end of season 1 Because that's really amazing Anyhow, let's get into... Actually before we get into the first letters I do want to cover all the murders first So let's go into Lake Bressa murder Once again September 27th, 1969 Two college students Brian Hartnell and Cecilia Shepard were picnicking at Lake Briessa on a small island connected by a sand spit to Twin Oak Ridge. A man about 5 feet 11 inches weighing more than 170 pounds poached him wearing a black executioner's type hood with the clip-on sunglasses over the eye holes and a bib-like device on his chest that had a white 3 by 3 inch cross circle symbol on it. He approached them with a gun, which Hartnell believed to be a .45. The Houghton man claimed to be an escaped convict from a jail with a two-word name, neither called Rattle or Montana. Um, a police officer later inferred that he had been re- referring to a jail in Deer Lodge, Montana where he had killed a guard, and subsequently stolen a car, explaining that he now needs their money to go to Mexico, as the vehicle he had been driving was too hot, and not overheating, but if he was driving around, he would be caught with it. After hearing their screams for help, a man and his son were fishing in nearby, cove. Um, discovered Th- and discovered the victims and then contact park rangers and by the way I did accidentally skip over what happened to them um he pretty much killed them one to survive and he's lucky to survive that attack Harnell suffered six um stab wounds and Shepard ten wounds in the process then the killer height. Yards back up to Knoxville Road, drew the cross circle symbol on Nell's car door with the black felt tip pen and rode beneath the Valley hill 122068 7469 7 or September 27th 69 630 by knife. Then he went to Napa County around 7.40 and called the Napa County Sheriff's Office from a pay telephone to report the latest crime. The caller first stated to the operator that he wished to report a murder, no a double murder as his own words, before stating that he had been the perpetrator of the crime. The phone was found still off the hook minutes later and the Napa car washed on the main street in Napa by Kvon Road. reporter Pat Stanley only a few blocks from the sheriff's office yet 27 miles from the crime scene detectives were able to lift a still wet palm print from the telephone but were never able to match it to any suspect like I said a man and a son were fishing heard the screams and then contacted the rangers and yeah only one of them survived. That was hard now. Anyhow, I, I think in a future part, I'm going to have to look into this Montana case too, because maybe with this Montana case, we can get an idea on a trail kind of, and if he actually really went back to prison and ever been caught, and that's important and we should all know why that's important, okay? Because this inmate that escaped has a name, okay? So anyhow, um, the Presidio Heights murder we are going to get into now. Two weeks later on October 11th of 1969, a white male passenger entered the cab driven by Paul Stein at the intersection of Mason and Geary Streets, one block west from Union Square in San Francisco. Um, he was requesting to be taken. The Zodiac, in this case, was requested to be taken to Washington and Maple Streets in Presidio Heights. For for unknown reasons, Stein drove one block past. Maple to Cherry Street, the passenger was shot Stun once in the head with a 9mm, took Stun's wallet and car keys and tore away a section of Stun's blood state shirt tail. The passenger was observed by three teenagers across the street at 9.55pm who called the police while the crime was in progress. They observed a the man wiping the cab down before walking away towards the presidio, one block to the north, two blocks from the crime scene. Patrol officers Don Fuke and Eric Zelms, responding to the call, observed a white man walking along the sidewalk east on Jackson Street, and stepping onto a stairway leading to up to the front yard of one of the homes on the north side of the street. The counter lasted only five to ten seconds. Now, why this case is extremely important is one, we got an almost very clear picture. Um, ideally, if, if you have a good vision type of brain, of uh, the scenario. You know, we got these witnesses, we got officers, they connect this man, seen this man. And why? Why this case stands. Or why this murder. Stands out. It's not just because it's a stranger. What I mean is. He has. An idea. Or a case of. um, Murdering young couples. You know. Whether they were in high school or college. Okay. I think he's. Killed him. And. I I get the reason why he did and I don't know if Stein kind of was suspicious about him or Stein was you know miss a turn or something I don't know but this particular cab driver went a little bit too far got shot and more than one has seen him. Now I'm going to reread the part where it goes back to the police officers. So remember patrol officers Don Fook and Eric Zelms responded to the call. They seen a white man walking along the sidewalk on East Jackson Street and stepping onto a stairway leading up to front yard of one of the homes on the north side of the street and their counter lasted a few seconds which is typical you're in a car the guys outside it's not like you're gonna really stop question it the thing that i am questioning though is did he just notice these patrol officers and then just walked up to the house why, why did he walk up the steps of the house? No, I don't think another murder happened at the house, but in my idea of view, if I had officers going past me and there was the house, I would go past the, up the steps too to hide. Whether or not anything further happened, if he broke in, if you lived there, what not, which I hardly did live there, but you get the chest now we are going to um go into speculation and zodiac claims this isn't technically a theory part but I just wanted to throw this in here but these are closely related to the zodiac with victims so the first two victims of this area is Robert Domingos, 18, and Lyndon Edwards, who was shot and killed on June 4th, 1963. There are specific similarities between their attack and the Zodiac's attack at Lake Berryessa, on Berryessa, five years later. On Cherry Joe Bates, who was 18, was stabbed to death and nearly decapitated on October 30th. 1966 at Riverside City College in Riverside. She is known to be a possible connection to the Zodiac, um, who Only, and this only actually appeared four years after the murder, when San Francisco Chronicle reporter Paul Avery received a tip recording similarities between the Zodiac killings and Bates death. Donald last, was last seen um, on September 6th of 1970, She was 25 and she was last seen in Nevada. A postcard with the advertisement from Forest Pines uh, Condominiums pasted on the back was received at the Chronicle on March 22nd. No evidence has been uncovered to connect Lassa's disappearance with the Zodiac. We will actually look into that probably more. Um, for the simple fact I, I kinda wanna see where this forest pines is what can be surrounding this and will not but anyhow let's continue. Um Kathleen Johns was twenty two, she was allegedly abducted on March twenty second on highway one thirty two one or near I five or yeah, near I five eighty, sorry about that. In the area west of Modesto. Johns escaped from the car of the man who drove her and her infant daughter around the area between Stockton and Patterson for approximately an hour and a half. And we can go into the report, but... According to the report, Johns gave her statement to the surgeon on duty. She noticed that the compass's sketch of Paul Stan's killer And she recognized that man, and that's why it's kind of connected. Um, I don't know if it's because the man was him, looks like him, you know, because everyone can look like someone to a certain extent. And seeing that could have been like this guy in your sketch. He's the guy, it's hard to say because we don't know much about the Zodiac besides what he's purposely given us. But as she gave her statement, she recognized the sketch and said, I recognize him. Um, Most accounts say that he threatened to kill her and her daughter but at least one police report disputes that John's account to Paul Avery of the Chronicle indicates her doctor left his car and searched for her in the dark with a flashlight. However, in one report she made to the police, she stated he did not leave the vehicle. I will probably investigate this one more too and quickly why this is important. I'm not saying it didn't happen, must think she was abducted. Cause maybe she wasn't. Maybe she knew the person. Let's just say. Because who would get into some random stranger's car with your infant? No, not the guy. Two. The two different reports contradict each other as she gave them. And the more contradicts contradictions that she would have claimed and made it kind of would make her report sketchy and even falsified because she gives so many contradictions or she would I should say I didn't I don't think she did but it's just one of those things where maybe she wasn't abducted. Maybe she knew this guy. Maybe it was next. maybe it was some friend, and this friend wasn't who he said he was. Who knows? Anyhow, let's go up to the letters, we got roughly 25 minutes left. These are the first letters from the Zodiac on August 1st of 1969. Three letters prepared by the killer were received at the v- Vallejo Times-Herald, San Francisco Chronicle, and the San Francisco Examiner. The nearly identical letters subsequently described by a side actress to have been written by someone you would expect to be brought in isolated, T- took credit for the shootings at Lake Herman Road and Blue Rock Springs. Each letter also included one third of a 408 symbol cryptogram which the killer claimed contained his identity. The killer demanded that they be printed on each paper's front page or he would cruise around all weekend killing own people in the night then move on to kill again until I end up with a dozen people over the weekend. Chronicle published a third of the cryptogram on on page 4 of the next day's edition. An article printed alongside the quote quoted, Valley Hale Police Chief Jack E. Stiltz Essing were not satisfied that the letter was written by the murderer and requested the writer send a second letter with more facts to prove his identity. The threatened murders did not happen and all three parts were eventually published. On August 7th of 1969, another letter was received at the San Francisco Examiner with a salute, or, solution, or salutation, I guess, Dear Editor, this is the Zodiac speaking. This was the first time the killer had used the Zodiac name for his identification. The letter was a response to Chief Stilt's request for more details that would prove he had killed Faraday, Jensen, and Farron. In it, the Zodiac included details about the murder, which was not yet released to the public, as well as a message to the police, but when they cracked the code, um, it pretty much wasn't much. And, quote, unquote it, the message said they will have me. On August six or August 8th, I mean, 1969, Donald and bet Betty Harden of Salinas, California cracked the 408 symbol cryptogram that contained a misspelled message in which the killer seemed to reference the most dangerous game, and said he was collecting slaves for his afterlife. No name appears in this Dakota text. And the killer said that he would not give away his identity because it slowed down or stopped his safe collection. I'm going to read the cipher. This is the first out of two cypers that has been uh, uncovered or encrypted. I like killing people because it is so much fun. It is more fun than killing wild game in the forest because man is the most dangerous animal of all. To kill something gives me the most thrilling experience. It is even better than getting your rocks off with a grill. The best part of it is that uh, when I die, I will be reborn in paradise. And all that I have is, that the all I have killed will become my slaves. I will not give you my name because you will try to slow down or top my collecting of slaves for my afterlife. And then I guess I'm uh, gibberish. But, you know, ideally, this guy seems to be clever. Um, he's not giving up much. He references the book. He says his purpose is to collect for the afterlife. So, anyhow, let's go to the other letters that he sent. On October 14th of 1969, the Chronicle received another letter from the Zodiac, this time containing a swatch of Paul Stein's shirt, tell as proof he was the killer. It also included threat about killing school children on a school bus. To do this, Zodiac wrote to shoot out the front tire and they pick off the kiddies as they come bouncing out. At 2 p.m. on October 20th, 1969, someone claiming to be the Zodiac called the Oakland Police Department, demanding that one of two prominent lawyers, F. Lee Bailey, or Melvin Bailey, appeared on AM San Francisco, a talk show on KGO TV hosted by Jim Tonbar. Bailey was not available, but Bailey did appear on the show. Dunbar appealed to the viewers to keep the lines open. Eventually, someone claiming to be the Zodiac called several times. Bailey asked for a less ominous name and the color pixel. Bailey arranged a service to meet this individual and a person outside a shop on Mission Street in Daly City, but no one arrived. On November 8th, 1969, the Zodiac Miller card with another cryptogram consisting of 240 characters. The cipher dubbed Z340 remained unsolved for over 51 years. This is the most updated news of the cryptogram. On December 5th of 2020, it was deciphered by an international team of private citizens, including American software engineer David Orncott, or Ornchuk, Australian mathematician Sam Blake and or Belgian programmer Gerald Gerald Van Eyck in the decrypted message. The Zodiac refuted being the Sam who spoke on the AM letter were published in the Chronicle on November twelfth, including the Zodiac's claim. Actually I skipped the whole entire part. Um like I said, the Zodiac did refute being the Sam who skipped on AM, or who spoke on AM, San Francisco, explaining that he was not afraid of the gas chamber because it was sending me to Paradise or the Sooner. The, team's, uh, the team submitted their findings to the FBI, which verified the discovery. But this message did not give this killer's identity. But well, I'm going to read it to you i hope you are having lots of fun and trying to catch me that wasn't me on the tv show which brings up a point about me i'm not afraid of the gas chamber because it will send me to paradise all the sooner because i now have enough slaves to work for me where everyone else has nothing when they reach paradise so they are afraid of death i'm not afraid because i know that my new life is life will be an easy one in paradise death. And that was the solution. And once again, it has misspellings as I read it. So. Anyhow. Obviously, there's some more letters. Um, On October 9th, nineteen sixty nine, the Zodiac mailed a seven page letter stating that two policemen stopped and actually spoke with them three minutes after he shot Stein. Experts from the letter were published in the Chronicle on November twelfth, including the Zodiac Claim that same day. Officer Don Fook wrote a memo explaining what happened the night of Stein's murder on december twentieth, nineteen sixty nine, is actually one year after the murders of Dave Faraday and Bradley Lou Jensen. The Zodiac mailed a letter to Belly that included another to watch a Steins shirt. The Zodiac said he wanted Belly to help him. The Zodiac continued to communicate with the authorities despite not a lot of them being letters uh, for the remainder of 1970 via letters. Uh, Like I said, not a lot was letters but most of it was and greeting cards to the press and a letter postmarked April 20th of 1970 the Zodiac wrote, My name is blank, followed by 13 character cipher. The Zodiac went on to state that he was not responsible for the recent bombing of a police station in San Francisco, referring to February 18th of 1970 and the death of Sergeant Brian McDonald two days after the bombing at Park Station in Golden Gate Park. But added, There is more go- glory to killing a cop than a Sid, because a cop can shoot back. And I'm pretty sure that Sid is supposed to be a kid, but it was above to see. The letter included a diagram of a bomb, zodiac claimed he was used to blow up a screw bus at the bottom of the diagram he did the crosshair like symbol that was similar or exactly like to the one that was found on the car and he did that crosshair like symbol as equals 10 sfpd equals zero on April 28, 1970, Zodiac sent a greeting card to the Chronicle, written on the card was, I hope you enjoy yourselves, when I have my blast. Followed by the Zodiac's cross-circle signature. He directed to use the boss bomb soon unless the newspaper published the full details he wrote. He also wanted to start seeing people wearing some nice Zodiac buttons. On June 26th, of 1970 in a letter postmarked to the Chronicle or to San Francisco, it's not really specific. He wrote, I shot a man sitting in a parked car with a .38. He was possibly referring to the murder of 25 year old Sergeant Richard Radich one week earlier at 5.25am on June 19th. Radich was writing a parking ticket In a squad car when a silent, unrelated to the traffic violation, shot him in the head with a .3 caliber pistol through the closed driver's side window. He died 15 hours later, but the San Francisco Police Department denies the Zodiac was involved, and the murder remains unsolved. And honestly, I don't think it was the Zodiac, and I'm throwing that out there because it doesn't necessarily make sense for the Zodiac to do that. It's out of his range, you know, out of his behavior, out of his personality. Um. Let's see. Included with the letter was the Phillips 66 roadmap of the San Francisco Bay Area, on the image of Mount Diablo the zodiac had drawn a cross circle similar to those he had included in previous correspondents. On top of the cross circle, he placed a zero, a three, a six, and a nine. The accompanying instructions stated that the zero was to be set to a mag n. The letter included a 32-letter cipher that the killer claimed would, in conjunction with the code, lead to the location of a bomb he had buried and set to go off in the fall. The cypher was never decoded, and the bomb was never located. And we'll get into that later because the same bomb that was said to be used to blow up the school children had been found with someone. And like I said, we'll, we'll go into that later in another part. In a letter to the Chronicle postmarked July 24th of 1970, the Zodiac took credit for Kathleen John's abduction four months after the incident. In a July 26th 1970 letter, the Zodiac par- paraphrased a song from the Mikado adding his own lyrics about making a little list of the ways he had planned to torture his slaves in paradise. And once again, the cross-circle symbol and a new score, 13, it went up um, and the uh, police department still was at zero. A final note at the bottom, the st- letter stated, P.S. the Mount Diablo code research radians plus the number symbol or hashtag symbol inches long the radians. In 1981 a close na- examination of the radiant hit by Zodiac researcher Garrett uh, Penn led the, to the discovery that a rating angle when placed over the map poor Zodiac uh, instructions pointed to the locations of two Zodiac attacks. On October 7th, 1970, the Chronicle received a five by five inch card signed by the Zodiac with the crosshair symbol um, and a small cross reportedly drawn with blood. The card's message was formed by pasting words and letters from an edition of the Chronicle, and 13 holes were punched across the card. Spectres Armstrong and Toshi agreed it was highly probable that Zodiac sent this. Now, before we get into this letter to Paul Avery, we are going to obviously do another part. It will, I will try to publish it on Friday. If not, it will be Saturday. We might just do a whole weekend of the Zodiac. Anyhow, let's get back into this. Um, on October 27th of 1970, Chronicle reporter Paul Avery, who had been covering the Zodiac case, received a Halloween card signed with the letter Z and the Zodiac's cross circle symbol Handwrittenness as the card was a note, Peekaboo, You are doomed, it said. The director was taken seriously and received a front-page story on the Chronicle. Soon after receiving this letter, Avery received an anonymous letter alerting him to the similarities between the Zodiac's activities and the unsolved murder of Cherry Joe Bates, which had occurred four years earlier at the City College in Riverside. He reported his findings in the Chronicle, on November 16th of 1970. Now, before we get into. Actually, next part, we will get into the rest of the stuff like the Riverside Murder, like the Ajo Disappearance, Santa Barbara Murders, the Final Zodiac Letter, and Later Letters of Suspicious Authorship. We will also get into investigations and so on and so forth. But. Anyways, let's go and enjoy, I guess, the rest of the day. I don't know, but anyhow, sorry if this episode did seem a little bit off. I had to re-record it in a little bit of time. But anyhow, the next parts will be better. And see you next time on part two of the Zodiac.